You're listening to Cary Live, Work, Play, the podcast that tells the stories of the people who make the town of Cary such a great place to live, work, and play. I'm Mike Maniscalco of your Carolina Hurricanes, and if there are two guys who absolutely should spend more than five minutes in the penalty box, it's your hosts, Wayne Holt and Adam Ashpaw. Joining us this week is the executive vice president and CEO of the Home Builders Association of Raleigh and Wake County, Paul Kane. Obviously, we have a lot of things going on here construction-wise in and around Cary, so the HBA is very involved in all of all of that. So, Paul, welcome. Thank you. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you ended up in Wake County, and I believe you are a Cary resident over in a, um, District C. District C, that's yeah. correct. Um, Proud resident. Yeah. So, uh, so tell us a bit of how you ended up in, uh, in Cary. So, um, I, I ran the home builders association in Tulsa, Oklahoma for a number of years and, uh, befriended Tim Minton, who was my predecessor here in, in Raleigh. Uh, we go to a lot of the same national conferences together, got to know each other. So when he'd gotten hired by the home builders association for the state of North Carolina, uh, he and I got to talking and he, he kind of put a sales pitch on me about how wonderful it is here in North Carolina. And uh, his sales pitch was quite convincing. So in uh, 2015, uh, my family and I moved from Tulsa to uh, to Wake County and uh, found Cary to be an excellent place to, to bring the family. Um, we're really, really glad we came. So we, we moved here in 2015 and stayed put. Did you grow up in Oklahoma? Is that where you're from? I did. Yeah, I, I'm kind of much like you're a multi-generational North Carolinian. I am a multi-generational Oklahoman, uh, but I'm one who, who fled the coop fled the coop well here's a good place to flee to uh so what about your education um i, I know you because i'm obviously a member of the home builders association and former past president but uh tell us a little bit about your background because i don't i don't think you're the typical uh type of leader that is in a home builders association throughout our state uh that's probably true i um grew up in a, a very small town in oklahoma called pahuska uh, population about three thousand. And a nice little town, but it, it's not like a suburb to a larger city. It's just its own thing. You don't accidentally end up in Pahaska. Um, And then from there, I went and got my bachelor's degree from University of Notre Dame. So that was that was my first attempt to, to fly the coop. Um, and then I went back to Oklahoma and got a law degree from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, I'm from a long line of lawyers. I'm a fourth generation lawyer. And uh, went into the law practice for almost 15 years thinking I was going to be a lawyer till I died. And... Uh, at one point, the HBA in Tulsa needed a new uh, executive officer, and a number of people came up and uh, said, I don't know if you ever thought about getting out of law, but if you did, you should consider doing that because you'd be really good at that. I was a member of the HBA. I was their legal counsel. And uh, after much, you know, kind of soul searching, you don't just walk away from a 15 year law practice lightly. Uh, I made the leap and I've never looked back. I, I love working in the, the home builder world. I love being an advocate for the for the industry. Um, probably one of the best decisions I'd, I've made professionally. So, were you practicing real estate law? No, I'm I'm now a recovering lawyer. Um, I but at the time, were you practicing real estate law? Yes, I mean, you yes, said I was. you were their counsel. Yeah. So, were you doing like real estate closings, or were you doing contracts? I mean, what was your what was your background there? Well, I I my beginning into the real estate world was doing uh, uh, title exams for okay. for uh, transactions. Uh, then I, I was uh, pretty heavily on the transaction side. I did a lot of uh, contract writing and, and negotiating, uh, did some 
litigation, some you know construction uh, negligence claims and so forth. So I represented a lot of builders. By the time I got out of the law practice, probably 85% of my client base uh, were either members of the Home Builders Association, if not the Home Builders Association itself. So that's, uh, in that regard, it was an easy transition. Uh, you know, making such a big career shift wasn't easy, but uh, it, I guess it was easy as it could be. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've got uh, friends and close friends that are attorneys and in, in, in the real estate world, uh, both residential and commercial, and knowing where they are right now and the hours they work and the things they deal with, I've got to think uh, your position with the Homebuilders Association is. You know, I know during COVID you had some stress to deal with, like we all did in in, in the industry. But I got to think that your level of stress going to uh, tonight we have a big big awards banquet you'll yes. be attending. Yes, uh, it's got to be a lot better than uh, working until six or seven trying to keep your clients happy, and they're still texting you at ten o'clock at night and seven in the morning. So um, I agree. I, I can see how you never look back. Yeah, I I loved the practice of law. I just hated the business of law. Yeah, and and one of the the things that, you know, person comes to you and they don't come and pay you two or two or $300 an hour to tell you how great things are. They, right. they come because something's gone horribly wrong and it's your job to fix that. And, and I tended to internalize that and make it my own problem. Yeah. I think it made me a really good lawyer, but it, it made me a wreck. Yeah. And, and the other thing was, was the, the practice of how you build clients. Right. It was the billable hour broken down into one, one tenth of an hour, six minute increments. Every phone call I made, every letter I wrote, every every brief, I wrote, everything I did, I had to have had a timesheet on my desk, and I had to write down everything meticulously. And I remember um, one of the first things I did after I'd left the practice and got into the Home Builders Association, and someone called and said they had this problem with a the builder, they weren't answering calls, and 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 so I listened to them and said, you know what? I know that builder. Let, let me touch base with him. So I called the builder and he said, oh yeah, that's, that's Mrs. Jones. I, I owe her a call. I'm so sorry. I'm glad you called me. Call back. Mrs. Jones said, you'll be hearing from him. And so everything got resolved and it took about, you know, an hour. And it, after I hung up the phone, I was looking for my timesheet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't have to do it. This is what the real world feels like. <laughs> yeah. I totally get your, uh, you're saying that people don't call you when they've, uh, when they're happy, they've got something going. I was an I was an insurance claims adjuster for ten years. Oh, oh, for eight years. I was in, in sales for two and claims for eight. So I totally get it. Yeah, I never talked to anyone when they won the lottery. <laughs> right. They had some kind of loss and they were upset. And uh, so yeah, I can I can feel your pain with that one. So you got into the HBA yeah. out in Oklahoma. Let's kind of skip ahead. Why here? I know you said Tim Minton got <laughs> in your ear, but you don't just leave home. Something was appealing enough to bring you here. No, that, that's a really good question. Um, my, uh, my, my wife also grew up in Oklahoma and, uh, it's a bit more of a nomadic than I am. I think she'd always interested in, in living somewhere else. Um, she went to college in Virginia, what was then called Randolph-Macon Women's College is now co-ed and it's called Randolph College. Uh, so she kind of fell in love with this part of the country. And, uh, she said, you know, we, we've always lived in Oklahoma except for college and wouldn't it be nice if we lived somewhere else before we died? And, and wouldn't it be nice if we did it and we were young enough to enjoy it? And I, so I always kept that in the back of my head. And, and uh, I, I told her, you know, I didn't want to just go anywhere. I mean, when the, when the job in, in Houston became available, I, I, didn't, I didn't really want to go to Houston. And, and when the job in St. Louis looked like it might be up, I, I didn't really want to go to St. Louis. And so when I came out here to interview, I'd, I'd never actually even been to Raleigh. As we're flying out here, my wife said, well, what are you, what are you looking for? And I said, I don't actually know. It's just a vibe. It's a feel. And, I, and I'll know it when I see it. 
and we hadn't been here 24 hours. And I looked at her and said, this is it. This, there is something about this place that is just so positive and so exciting. And the people that live here just seem to be excited and happy to be here. I mean, for the first six months I was here, people would say, well, you're new here. I go, yeah. They go, what do you think? I go, you know, I really like it. And they go, I know it's great. Isn't it? I mean, there's just this, this those are more transplants that had come in, right? That's hey, what we that all was. love it. Yeah. We we because love those it. of us that are natives, we know it. So we, you know, we don't get excited about it anymore. We just get excited when you guys come to town and we love that. <laughs> <laughs> so this was 2015. Yeah. Okay. So, so things were, things were going well in the building industry. You know, I, Wayne and I met at the at the lowest of lows that's that's we, we actually met through the hba that's how wayne and i became friends and business partners and the rest is history so we had seen it when it was really bad but but you came here at a really good time a really busy time and mm. it's only gotten even more hectic i would say hectic yes i mean um you know i've, I've had the privilege of, of being an hba executive officer during the recession and now during the pandemic and and each of them brought their own set of challenges you know i kind of i kind of yearn for the days when things were a little bit more boring but uh, Me too. when we're not going to read about it in history books <laughs> yeah. in the future, yeah. yeah, yeah, look forward to those years. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's um, it's helped me appreciate the value of of my job. It's helped me, uh, you know, boring times are fine, but you know, when the p pandemic began and and March 2020 was was probably one of the craziest times as it relates to my job, and probably one of the most important because that's when the uh all this discussion was being had about stay at home orders and shutting down businesses and so forth and i can't even talk about my old timesheets i can't even calculate how many hours i spent on the phone with the uh various county commissioners uh vicky adamson sig hutchinson matt calabria trying to make sure that that construction was exempted from the stay at home and and that it was not shut down that it was determined essential essential and exactly. if we look back now fast forward two plus years I don't think we realized how essential we were at that point because could you imagine if we just shut down for six months or like, I mean, I, I mean, obviously restaurants and, and other things had to close down and it's so unfortunate for those owners, but with the housing crisis we've got in this country right now, but especially in this County, yeah. we'd have had to shut down. We would be even further behind. Yeah. I mean, we are in the midst of an historic housing shortage. And I think when we were in the depths of the recession, it, it, it just sounded fantastical to think that, that we could ever have a housing shortage because there was at that time we had a glut. Um, but when things shut down and demand surges ahead, we had all this years of pent up demand. We've got the millennials that are now fully engaged in, in needing homes. Um, so yeah, we, we began the pandemic in the midst of an historic housing shortage. Um, we were very fortunate that building was deemed essential in North Carolina because I guess to finish the loop, I was in contact with the county commission because at that time the governor's office wasn't ready to take a stance on the stay at home orders. So Wake County uh, did their stay at home order first, deeming residential construction essential. And then the governor's office followed shortly thereafter, kind of following suit. So it was an important precedent. I think it was influential on the governor's decision. Pennsylvania, for example, did not deem construction essential. Pennsylvania, it was it was awful. It was awful. So I, they all I, moved down here. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I, you know, some of my counterparts that are executive officers up there just they don't even want to talk about it. Right. It, it was just it was awful. And so, you're right, Wayne. We we be we're in a bad place right now in terms of housing availability. It would be 
horrendous. So let's dig a little deeper on that housing availability. And you mentioned the Great Recession and how there was a glut of inventory uh, at that time. And there was a glut of homes, but more so than that, there was a, a major glut of uh, finished lots on yes. the ground. And I mean, to the tune of four or 5,000 lots, which at that time, based on the absorption we were seeing in those years, it was what was considered a 10, 12 year supply. Now, granted, we got through the recession, the absorption began to, uh, to get shorter, but a healthy market for lot inventory is four to five years of, of absorption. Let's talk a little bit about that and what happened because developers quit developing land. Um, and, and now we've had this great shortage of lots, which has created shortage of houses. Exactly. Well, and, and a number of things happened. I mean, the developers stopped developing because as you say, there was a glide. Um, and a lot of the developers just, I mean, they got, they got hammered and they, you know, their lenders were, were pounding on them. Um, so even when we were emerging from the recession, there was a reluctance to jump back in. You know, when you, when you've been bit by a snake, you, you watch out for those snakes going forward. And so, uh, even by the time developers really started developing again, they were already behind the, behind the ball. They were already late. And if few were, were actually willing to start probably when they should have, you add on to that, that during that time, just because the, uh, industry shut down, uh, government regulators did not. And there was a real ramping up, especially at the federal level of, of regulations that added time to the de de development process, add cost to the development process. Um, in, in 2016, the National Association of Home Builders did a nationwide survey of builders and developers, and they calculated that an, on the median new home, on average, 25% of its ultimate sale price was regulatory costs. And I'll tell that to local elected officials. They're like, well, that, that can't be right. We don't, we don't charge that much in fees. Well, it's not just fees. Not just fees. That's correct. It's, it's compliance. And probably more than half of that 25% is at the development phase before you've even put a shovel in the ground to start the foundation. It's, it's, you know, EPA regulations, it's fish and wildlife regulations, it's endangered species, you know, and you know, I'm not saying that it should be an unregulated world, but I think things just went a little too far. And, and so that exacerbated this whole, you know, ability to get a lots developed in a timely way and, and be in, a, in an affordable way. Yeah, I agree. And you know, being on the building side, uh, I see those. And then you take it from the development and the regulatory side of development. It goes to, you know, the electrical code council will make changes where we have to add these things to the homes. And it just continues to go on and on and on. Um, and they, they make better homes. I don't think there's any question there. They make them safer homes. They make them uh, more energy efficient. But it also those things cost and it drives the, uh, the cost to build the home, which ultimately drives up the sale price, which ultimately affects what we're talking about almost every day in, in the media locally is uh, affordable housing and housing affordability. So touch on that a little bit on, on where, uh, in a little bit, we'll get into actually the real, the real duty of the HBA, but touch a little bit on, on how the HBA right now is working with, uh, with other jurisdictions and, and trying to get uh, housing affordability. Well, uh, we are, we are very actively engaged in that because, you know, anytime an, a regulation comes along or anything that costs more, um, you know, that, that goes on directly to the consumer. The, the builders are really a conduit for those costs. 
And, and so that's something that we're really trying to make sure everybody understands that, well, for example, every time you add a, a, a cost to the sale price of that home, certain people can no longer afford that home, right? So uh, this is another NAHB study where they determined that uh, what's the impact of a $1,000 increase? Because I've actually had people say, Paul, your, your builders, they're selling half a million dollar homes. What's another thousand bucks? I actually have the answer to that now. Um, from this uh, NHB study, they showed that it, with a single thousand dollar increase, a certain number of people can no longer qualify for that loan. And um, nationwide, it's it's well over a hundred thousand families. They've broken that down into metro areas, and they've even done it for the uh, Raleigh. They call it the Raleigh Cary area. Interestingly enough. So the Raleigh Durham? Yeah, no, Durham has its own numbers. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Durham has its own numbers. So this is the, the Raleigh Cary area. And uh, a, a single thousand dollar increase to the price of a home will make eight hundred families not be able to qualify to get that home. And for you and, and just to break down what the NAHB is, that's the National Association of Home Builders. Right. Um, so people understand where that study came from. So what is the charge of the local home builders association how would you describe to someone that doesn't know anything about uh the home builders association what the home builders association does and their mission so um at, at its core you know we are the trade association for the residential construction industry and and in our particular association it's for uh wake county and all of the municipalities within wake county including Cary, obviously um and I, sometimes I, I describe it as, is we're like a chamber of commerce for one industry. We're here to promote the industry. We're here to advocate for the industry. Uh, we're here to help uh, people uh, do business with each other within the industry, kind of networking opportunities. Uh, and, and at its core, it really all comes back to the, the affordability issue. And, and that has been kind of part of our mission statement long before affordability was even really an issue. Um, that, you know, we were talking earlier about regulations and the impact of regulations. You know, we would never advocate for a system where there's just no regulations at all. You know, it's a delicate balance. It's more of an art than a science. And, you know, one of our tasks is, is to kind of keep an eye on that and, and make sure that those policymakers who are looking at new rules or regulations try to look at through the lens from a cost-benefit analysis. You know, and we're really very fortunate uh, in Wake County that uh, we've we've got some some really good elected officials around here that really do uh, they don't view our industry as the enemy. Uh, there are a lot of my peers around the country are not so lucky. They they have very hostile relationships with their local elected officials, um, and and we don't have that environment here. But having said that, you know it's still we still have to keep those relationships strong and tight and make sure that, you know, we don't always see eye to eye and everything, but at least, at least we're very civil about it. I think most of the policymakers around here recognize that we are in a, a growth stage uh, and that uh, it's important that we all work together as partners in the undertaking rather than adversaries. Yeah. I think that, you know, we've been in a growth stage when 1967, I think when right. RTP opened up and uh, you know, I'm, I'm a native and um, I, and I was alive in 1967 and remember, uh, vaguely remember, I was young, but um, I grew up in Holly Springs. At the mm -hmm. time when I was growing up, it was 800 people. Today it's approaching 40,000. Fuquay was 3,000 people and it's approaching 35 or so, 32, 35. So we are in a growing area and it's continuing to spread out. Now you're, you're going into Andrew and Lillington and Franklinton and you know, just further and further out. Um, but, uh, but, but I think that 
you mentioned we are we're not the bad guy and, and getting elected officials to understand that uh, we aren't building houses to draw people here. We're building houses because people are coming here. Well, that's right. I mean, it's not the field of dreams. Right. <laughs> it's not if we build it, they will come. Right. Uh, when I moved here in 2015, I didn't say I want to move to uh, Wake County because I understand they're building homes there. No, I moved here because it was an opportunity and a great place to live. Um, a few years back, I was talking with the then mayor of Apex, uh, Lance Olive, and we were talking about issues. And he said, you know, Paul, I, you guys are important. I, I like you. I get you. But there's three things I hear every day. Builders are, are tearing down all the trees. They're making the roads all crowded and, and they're making the school schoolrooms crowded. And of course, I had the perfect answer <laughs> the next day uh, after the conversation we was always long over, right? <laughs> you thought of it about 1130 at night when you laid in bed and you're like, oh, that's it. <laughs> I got to call him tomorrow. We'll text him now. <laughs> Lance, if you're listening, here's the answer. Um, when it comes to trees, uh, you know, you plant new trees. In fact, a lot of people don't realize this, but the area that's uh, formerly known as Cameron Village used to be treeless. Right. There were no trees there at all. And now that's often pointed out to as a, a beautiful place that all should aspire to. Uh, so you plant new trees. Uh, but when it comes to the roads and the schools, the home building industry is doing the exact same thing that the Department of Transportation and the school boards are doing, responding to growth. Right. It, it makes no more sense to blame builders for traffic than it does to blame car dealerships for traffic. It's just people moving here. They need places to live. They need ways to get around. And it's just that with building, that can typically happen a little faster because it's it's not a, a, a public undertaking. So you don't have to raise taxes. You don't have to get bonds done. You don't have to have months of public hearings. Um, you know, as long as you've got a lot and somebody comes up and says, I want a house there and here's some money, it gets done. Now, granted, in today's environment, it's a little slower than it used to be with supply chain issues and everything else. Uh, but I think that timing differential oftentimes is what creates the headbutting. Yeah, and I think for me as a builder, and I've been in several industries over the years, and I've been building homes for, for 20 years, uh, it's frustrating for me when I'm made out to be the bad guy or when I'm the one that gets picked on because I buy a house and knock it down and, and put two back up and, and take a tree down or several trees or whatever the case may be. Um, it, it's frustrating because we as builders and as an association contribute positively in a lot of ways to the community the county and the communities. Uh, touch a little bit on, on some of the things that the Homeowners Association does uh, through Wake Tech and through uh, the Remodelers Council and through some of the other groups where we go out and actually make a positive impact. Oh yeah, well, so you mentioned uh, Wake Tech uh, at our board meeting just earlier this week. Um, we honored the uh, some students from Wake Tech. We, uh, we contribute about $10,000 every year to Wake Tech to fund some scholarships for uh, individuals pursuing an education in the trades. And, you know, that makes a real difference on their lives. Uh, with that $10,000 can go a long way at Wake Tech because Wake Tech's a pretty affordable place to go in the first place. Um, we also uh, more recently have developed a relationship with one of the Wake County Public High Schools called Vernon Malone. And uh, they- Vernon Malone was a longtime public servant for this county. Yes. For those of you who don't know. That's right. Uh, and the school has, you know, high school level trades education. So they've got a welding program, they've got electrical, uh, they've had plumbing at one time or another, they've uh, HVAC. Um, they also have auto mechanics and, and cosmetology and all kinds of different things. But we recognize that, you know, we need to be interacting with, with young people to kind of get 
the, the workforce of tomorrow on board. Uh, in addition to a housing shortage, we're facing a labor shortage. And, and that is, uh, I call it the, the overnight problem that was 12 years in the making. Um, the labor shortage really began with, with the recession as well. Um, so that's, you know, that's an important way that we're, we're interacting with the community. Another thing that we've been doing, uh, since 08 is, uh, our affiliation with an organization called Operation Coming Home. Uh, that is a 501c3 charitable organization that builds brand new homes for, uh, veterans who were injured in combat operations. And in more recent years, we've built some homes for the uh, widows of fallen soldiers and, um, we're ac actively, uh, finishing up hero home number 25. So that's uh, an impressive number of, of homes that have been built for these uh, deserving veterans. Um, and we'll be giving the keys away to that home uh, this summer. And we're, we're excited about that. So that's, you know, that's a way where the, the builders can give back the, the suppliers, the, the subcontractors, even the, the cities and towns where it's built, they always will either waive or reimburse the building fees it's like everybody participates in this. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a win for everybody. It's, it's a wonderful way. And that's one of those events that, uh, it is open to the public. It's not necessarily uh, publicized to where it's easily defined, but it is on the website and, and those come up. But if you ever have the opportunity to go to one of those key ceremonies, it is, uh, it's very touching, very stirring, uh, very, very moving. And, uh, and, and I know a couple of times, uh, I believe that they've made the announcements that, different sporting events of, um, you know, the per the candidate doesn't even know that they're going to be awarded this house and they've done it at sporting events, you know, live on television. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's a big deal. And that's one of the things that, uh, one of the major things that the homeowners association helped start, um, and has continued to support with, uh, developers giving lots away. And you talked about municipalities, FICOI led the way with that, giving away the fees for many, many homes that have been built down there. Yes. Um, and, and other things too. Um, I know the Triangle Social Marketing Council, which is part of the, uh, one of the councils of the HBA, uh, puts together groups and goes out and does, uh, repairs to people's homes, uh, typically every fall. Yeah, that's right. Um, they, they always have a, during the, uh, recession, the, um, they started a program called the big give where they were trying to, to give stuff back to members of the council to kind of help them through this hard time. Well, once we were through the recession, they converted it from the big give to the big give back. It's time to give back to the community. Uh, and that's been uh, hugely successful. They've done some great work with uh, rebuilding together of the triangle going and, you know, helping build wheel wheelchair ramps or, or make homes that are in dilapidated conditions habitable again for, for people, you know, deserving people. Uh, and then in the more recent years, have done a lot of work with CASA, which is kind of a, a transitional living uh, situation, multifamily, and they'll go and, you know, uh, redo the landscaping up front, things like this, and have done some really, really great projects. So, Paul, another initiative that the HBA has taken on recently, and it's it, it's a few years in the making, is the Imagine Wake campaign that you're doing or that we're doing as a, as an association. Tell us about that and how, what the thought was when you started it, how it got started and where it's going to go. It, it really got started when we were looking at some of the statistics that the uh, Raleigh chamber often cites. And, and I think we've all heard this, you know, the county's growing by 63 people every day. And, and that's a net number that's moving in versus moving out, being born versus dying. So, uh, some people will say 63 people are moving here every day. Well, that that's not even the full story. It's a net number. If you multiply that out, that's 25,000 people a year. If you multiply that out even further, that's a quarter of a million people in 10 years. And so we were all sitting around looking at each other and said, 
we're going to have a quarter of a million more people here in 10 years. Oh my gosh. So we realized it was important that as many players as possible, we're all thinking of it that way, uh, including policymakers, elected officials, uh, leaders of business, leaders of nonprofits, that we all need to be rowing the boat in the same direction. If, if we're not thinking about that today, about the way things are going to be in the future, and we're not planning about it, planning for it and thinking about it, uh, it's, it's going to be, it's just going to hit us hard. It's, we're going to get ambushed. So we, uh, we were inspired by a group out of Utah that did something similar to this. And they actually started this initiative in the mid 1990s and it's still going to this day. Uh, I think it's called envision Utah. And we thought we need that here. So we started imagine wake the focus really being on, on Wake County and all its municipalities. And we invited to our group, kind of a selective group of, of mayors, town managers, some uh, town councilors, business leaders. Uh, we've got several uh, former Raleigh mayors on the group, uh, John Kane with Kane uh, Realty, um, and then you know some nonprofits, Habitat for Humanity, Southeast Raleigh Promise. Um, we, we tried to uh, you know bring in people that maybe didn't always necessarily agree with us too, because we we wanted to hear all voices in the community, and it's really at its core, it's a discussion about growth. And that we're all hearing the same statistics. We're all thinking the same way. We have uh, quarterly meetings of the Imagine Wake Alliance. We have um, people come in and kind of give a presentation. We had Michael Haley with the uh, Raleigh Economic Development come in and talk. We had um, uh, Charles Meeker, former Raleigh mayor, come in and talk. Uh, interesting. And then most recently, we had Dr. Scott Rawls, the president of Wake Tech. Uh, and, and Wake Tech is also a member of the Alliance, um, as well as uh, superintendent of the school board. We're trying to get a real broad cross-section of people because the more people that we have talking about this, the, the easier it is to come up with uh, solutions and make sure that we're all envisioning things the same way. We've got a website, imaginewake.com, that has a lot of uh, interesting kind of resources in terms of explaining the development process. What does it take to build a house? What are some of the costs, you know, and, you know, at its core, it's about growth and, and probably a very strong secondary component to it is the affordability discussion because uh, they are kind of intertwined. I think what a lot of folks don't realize is what it really takes to project out and you 250,000 people over 10 years, where are they going to live? Yeah. Where are they going to work? How are they going to get there? And putting this group together, uh, starts getting minds thinking the same way you get these developers and again developers and builders often get a bad rap but the jobs are coming yes now, that's been seen we are one of the best states in the nation for entrepreneurs we're for industry we have favorable climate we have education systems we have all the things that industry wants right but if we aren't thinking long-term mm -hmm. and the developers, whether it's the commercial space developers, whether it's the residential developers, whether it's guys like you mentioned, John Kane, mm -hmm. who has done just incredible things with North Hills. Absolutely. Incredible. And the number of uh, condos, apartments, uh, just li uh, l units, living units that he's put in place there. And now he's working uh, he's done some in downtown. He's done some at, uh, I guess they're calling it Midtown East now over mm -hmm. off of uh, Wake Forest and Six Forks. If we don't get these people together 
and work together, then we're going to be in worse shape in 10 years than we are today from a transportation standpoint, um, from a getting things in place from entitled for entitlements to the land to be able to do these projects. People are going to come. And as we talk about going back, tying it back into affordable housing, one of the things we're dealing with right now today is that we've got people coming from other parts of the country that are selling their homes for two to three times what a comparable home cost in the triangle Wake yeah. County specifically. And they can come in here and pay 200, 300,000 over asking price yeah. because to them, it's still a bargain. Mm-hmm. And I think where we where we again get beat up sometimes is that we're not the problem there. We're such a great place to be that those folks are coming here and they want to be here just like the ones that came here five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 1967 with IBM, all those folks. So, so how do we continue to promote the positives of what we do to, uh, to our, to our citizens? I think the, I think it's key is that we just stay as engaged as possible that, that we, you know, if, if we have disagreements with what policymakers are coming up, we don't get into a yelling match with them. We, we take them to lunch and talk through it. I mean, you know, civil discourse uh, to me always wins the day. Um, we've got, uh, we are, we are really very fortunate that the, the relationship industry has with the policymakers is, is healthy. It's certainly not, uh, it's certainly not one of these relationships where we're, we're in their back pocket or they're in ours or whatever else. I mean, it, it's oftentimes disagreements, but the civil discourse at the end of the day is the most important thing. And, and we can never let our guard up on that. We can never stop keeping that relationship strong and going. And, and, uh, that's where I think the HBA plays an important part for the industry. The HBA can do collectively what no individual builder can do. Uh, whenever we go speak, uh, to any town or, or, or city or even the County, uh, you know, we're speaking on behalf of our, you know, nearly 3000 members. Uh, we've got a really strong HBA here. It's the, we have the second largest membership of any HBA in the nation. Uh, people always ask, all right, well, who's bigger? It's Seattle. They've got right. two counties there. Right. We're just one. Yep. So I always like to say we are the largest HBA in the nation east of Seattle. <laughs> nice. <Yeah. laughs> and that, that takes in a lot of the country, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Most of it. Uh, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, being in someone's back pocket because I think that's one of the things that uh, I snicker at when I see it on the Facebook groups or any social media or in any conversation you may hear, whether it's the public speaks out at the town of Cary or wherever it may be that uh, the, the council is on the take money can buy you whatever you want down here. And it's just not the case. No, I mean, not at uh, all. the one thing I love about our elected officials, not just in, in Cary, but throughout the County is that, they don't play partisan politics when it comes to making decisions. It, it's a nonpartisan. It's what's best for the, for the citizens, not what's best for a party. And anyway, Kerry has nonpartisan elections coming up soon. Absolutely. Yeah. May 17th uh, for, for, uh, for, I was it three council seats, I believe. Right. Um, so I really find it interesting and, and, and comical when, when people say those kind of things, because it's, it's really, I know. I don't know. I guess New York city, Detroit, there, there's places where those things have happened and mobs are involved. And, um, you know, the things that are happening in, in, in downtown Cary specifically, um, you know, this is a 20 year plan. That's now that was put into play 21 years ago that we're just now seeing the results of because of all the planning that it took to get here. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you know, I, when I was talking about the, the great relationship between the industry and the elected officials, I, I think your, your point is absolutely right that it's, um, it's, it's an ongoing relationship. Uh, nobody is anybody's lackey on this. I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, I, I really, when I talk to a lot of my colleagues around the country that have such confrontational right. uh, experiences, um, I'm, I'm just so, so glad that it is the way it is here. I went to a Raleigh chamber leadership conference last summer and they were talking about how, you know, all around the country chambers experience the same thing and that there is just something really unique about the triangle. And I'd say specifically Wake County where we all are pretty much rowing the boat in the same direction. We do, whether we say it or not, we do realize that we're growing by 25,000 people a year. Uh, and that if all we're doing is fighting each other, we're not going to accomplish anything. And, and so I think that realization and that, that positivity I mentioned uh, earlier about how everybody around here is just so glad to yeah. be here. Um, I, I think that really permeates the culture in a really good way. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that are happening too, that, that, you know, again, that long-term vision, the bus rapid, uh, transit that carries working with, uh, Wake County, Raleigh, uh, you know, light rail conversations back up again. So mm -hmm. those are things that we need to take seriously because, uh, the roads are not going to get any less congested. No. Um, I mean, we're not DC, thank goodness, uh, Northern Virginia. Yet. You know? Well, we're not there yet. Right. We're not Atlanta. They're all moving down here. Wayne. There are, I know they are I just, just like speak you, for them. just like you, um, <laughs> So, Paul, before we wrap it up, we like to do a little thing we call rapid fire. Okay. So we're going to throw some questions at you, and um, a lot of them uh, you can answer uh, either or. We'll throw a couple of things at you, and some you'll have to elaborate on, and you can elaborate on any of them or all of them or <laughs> however you go. But uh, there is a time limit, Paul, so don't get too crazy. All right. Shoot. Yeah, the time limit is, I don't know, I've got to be at lunch in an hour. <laughs> all right. I'm all in. Right. Are I'm you in. ready? I'm in. These will go easy to hard. All right. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Climb a mountain or skydive? Climb a mountain. If a movie were made about your life, what genre would it be? What genre? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> they are getting hard. Um, maybe a... Uh... I mean, sci-fi is out of the question. So, oh, well, yeah. So you got no. comedy, drama, action, your basic go-tos there. Uh, I, I would say, uh, hopefully... Uh, drama with a bit of comedy thrown in. So like a like a lifetime Christmas movie type, lighthearted. Well, hopefully not that goes, light. Boy, boy finds love, goes to law school, finds his I'm, home. I'm not going to go so far as to say rom-com. <laughs> if, if it was a rom-com, my son would never watch it. So, okay. Who would be cast to play you? Well, I think uh, most all men would hope that Tom Hanks would play them. I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, who doesn't love Tom Hanks? Like it. Uh, what's the worst job you've ever had i know the answer to this one i've already heard this story last week but tell it again uh when i or just to give the answer it's great growing up i worked on it on uh, my family's cattle ranch in oklahoma <laughs> and uh there was one day that i remember defined my life we were we were helping a, a neighboring rancher work some cattle and they were branding these young cattle and he we had them all pinned up and he would he would find one that needed branding he'd rope the lasso around it, pull it out in the middle. And it was my job along with a couple other guys to run out there, grab the steer, throw him on the ground and hold him while he was getting, uh, branded. I'm and picturing it, Paul right now with jeans and chaps on and a hat. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was a real deal. I was a cowboy. What is your go-to pizza order? And it better not be pineapple. We're going to cut this no, short. No, <laughs> no, no pineapple. It's uh, sausage and green pepper and, and specifically like a that breakfast sausage. It's almost always oh. Italian sausage. If you get a sausage and green pepper pizza, I'll take it all day long. Heard. That's specific. That's I like not it. one you get all the time. 
What's your favorite go-to joke to tell? I'm always fond of a good Irish joke because I'm I'm Irish by blood, and I actually lived over there for a little while. It was a, a slow day in in Murphy's Pub in, in downtown Dublin, and there are these two guys there drinking, and and one of them looks over at the other, and you can tell in his eyes he thinks he's met him before, and he goes, um, I, "I I've seen you around. Are you from Dublin?" And the second guy goes, "No, actually, I'm I'm originally from a little coastal village of Kinsale in County Cork." And the first guy goes, you don't say. I was in the coastal village of Kinsale in County Cork. Bartender, bring us a round of drinks. So the bartender comes and sits down a couple of pints of Guinness, and they keep talking. And you can see that they're both kind of thinking now. And and this the second guy looks at the first guy and goes, now, where did you attend school in Kinsale? And the first guy goes, well, I attended school at Our Lady of Her Blessed Sacrament. And the second guy goes, you don't say. I attended school at Our Lady of Her Blessed Sacrament. Bartender, bring us another round of drinks. And so another couple of pints of Guinness come up. So then, then the phone rings and uh, the bartender goes and Murphy's Pub. No, no, it's slow around here today. Oh well, the O'Brien twins are drunk again. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. There you go. I just figured he was sitting at the end of the bar next to the mirror. <laughs> I like it. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Well, I, what we mentioned earlier, I think being at the in the front lines and helping keep the residential construction industry alive when the pandemic was rolling out. Um, at at the time, I knew it was important, but at, in in hindsight, I'm I'm really really pl- proud to have been a part of that. Yeah, that that was um, again times we didn't know how important they were. Should have ask that one last because that's like a serious one but this is <laughs> really one we need to get into uh what's one of your biggest pet peeves <sighs> guys who talk on the cell phone in a public bathroom oh that's that's just ugh. Again, i just i'm specific. like come on man can't it wait just, yeah hold it hold yeah. hold the call or hold yeah, it i yeah. don't care do one I, or the other I, I just i just walk out of there going ah, come on man have some Another, decency yeah how are you washing your hands if yeah. you're on the phone? Favorite thing to do and carry? I love uh, the restaurants. I love eating out. I'm real fortunate that I live close to two of my favorites. Um, Which are? Uh, is uh, Genki. They have some of the best sushi around. Oh. It's, it's at uh, Kill Their Farm in 1010. Okay. And then uh, also near there is uh, Thai Lotus, which has some really excellent curry. Ooh. So I, I love going out my language now. So I really like the, the local places that, that <laughs> they just really knock it out of the park. I think it's refreshing that he's talking about places near him that aren't necessarily downtown. I think, I think not that we do it, yeah, we get caught but, up but we're here. here. We get yeah. caught up in downtown. I'm way down in we're, district C, you know, I'm a right. South sider. I mean, you're, you're pretty much Holly Springs, but we'll say it's yeah. Carrie. Well, actually, <laughs> if you go, you're down by me. If you go two or three houses South, you're in Holly Apex. Springs. And if you go two or three houses uh, West, it's Apex. Um, and you're not that far from from Fuquay Middle Creek. Well, we area. We call it even K- though Middle Creek's technically Apex. I don't. I we don't we call it Capex Springs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Paul Kane, Executive Vice President, CEO of Home Builders Association of Raleigh Wake County. Thanks for joining us. It was, I really, uh, I really enjoyed. I always enjoy hearing people's stories. Wayne always likes talking business. That's, That's why right. we have two of us. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a, it is an association that serves a valuable service, and not just because I'm a member of it, um, but it is doing positive things for our for our county. Well, and one thing, when you and I always talk about, because we're, we're we're members of a few different sure, trade associations, um, you benefit all of them, even though they might not all be members. When we when we do something that helps the industry, it helps all players in the industry, whether they're members or not. 
but we couldn't do it without the members that we have. It, it's not just me and my staff that are making it happen. It's our members that are out there, you know, having those relationships, interacting with, with the customers and the, and the town officials and everything else. So, um, you know, the, the people who are members of the association are those who care about their community, care about their profession, and they're there to help even if it helps those who aren't members because ultimately uh, any, everybody benefits. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. You've been listening to Carry Live, Work, Play. For Adam Eshbaugh and Wayne Holt, I'm Mike Maniscalco. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>